Good morning. We're turning in our Bibles today to Psalm 122. goes right along with what we have just sung, a song of ascent, because this is a psalm that is part of the songs of ascent. There are 15 of them, and they start with 120 in the Psalms and make their way up to Psalm 134. And what distinguishes this psalm, first of all, is that it is highly focused upon Jerusalem. For you see, in the Songs of Ascent, what we find is that each of the songs is part of the pilgrimage, that uh, perhaps family units, individuals, had learned in advance singing, and they're making their way slowly but surely toward Jerusalem. And as they're making their way toward Jerusalem, what we find that in the process of it all, uh, they are now focused upon how all this fits together in God's sovereign plan. And so I'd like to begin reading with Psalm 122, verse 1, and it goes as follows. Song of Ascents. David, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I'll say to you, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. And as I was reading that, probably what caught your attention, if you were focused upon it, is that once again you've got bookending. And that verse 1 deals with the idea of the house of the Lord. You see it right there. Verse 9 ends with the house of the Lord. And so what God is now doing is that he is stirring the hearts of people as they are slowly but surely making their way through the hills and the valleys, whether it be coming because it's a Passover or Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles, one of the three major celebrations for the Jews. But they are making their way now into Jerusalem, and what this psalm does for us is that it positions us right at the very gates. You're about to enter into Jerusalem now with this particular psalm. They have just gotten done singing, as we noted the previous week, that God is the keeper. He has kept them through this pilgrimage. And if you are looking over your life journey, you are pondering the fact that God has kept you and your family and your loved ones through this journey of life. But for the people reading this, the people singing this, 
They are now at the very threshold of Jerusalem. In fact, they're standing at the very gates to enter Jerusalem. And they've got one primary objective, and that is to worship the Lord. Because verse 1 and verse 9, as bookending it all, stress this very fact. And so three times Jerusalem is mentioned, twice house of the Lord is mentioned, and through it all, the Lord is the center of what this is all about. As you and I now look to our Lord in prayer. And I'm thanking you, God, for who you are. Thanking you for the way in which you work. Thanking you that you are the God who is the keeper. You keep your promises. You keep your people. You bring security. As we noted last week, the basis of our internal security is our eternal security that's secured when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, validated three days later when he rose from the grave. So now, Father, we find ourselves in some ways at the gate. Metaphorically speaking, as this psalm begins now to speak to our hearts about the way in which fellowship and worship intersect across sections of life. And give us extraordinary wisdom now as we consider our life journey individually and collectively and how it relates to the times in which we live. Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. And shape these wills. As again now, Father, we've come here to see Jesus and, and Him only. Praying these things again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you love black and white photos? Something very classic about them. Vintage. Stands out. Here is a picture, and this picture is a picture of those that are now entering into Jerusalem. Notice the corridors. They are now being channeled in. They're on a pilgrimage, and they're making their way to the house of the Lord. What about her? What's she thinking? Makes you wonder, what did she leave behind? Uh, which friends? Which responsibilities? What uh, overarching concerns does she have that she's having to leave in a prior setting because she's making her way of the Lord? What weighs on your heart as you made your way into the presence of the Lord this morning? Another thing that stands out, not only the whole matter of leaving something behind, in your house to head into the presence to the house of the Lord. Another thing that stands out is that you're not doing this individually, though this individual here might be saying, I, I wonder how I'm going to be welcomed. Will anybody say hi? Will anybody ask me as they look into my eyes, how are you really doing? What are the health issues like? 
what are the tomorrows that you're concerned with? See, there is to be, there is to be fellowship here. And the reason for, there is fellowship here is because they are all headed in the same direction. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're part of a fellowship of people who are heading in the same direction. But not only are you one who heads in the same direction with others, you are part of the collective that heads towards the same destination. The one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, who gives you and me, in a highly directionally challenged society, a sense of how to get from where I am to where I need to be, connects your direction with your destination I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And now direction and destination are tied together. And physically speaking, these people are making their way collectively for fellowship and worship will intersect in the section of life, making their way into the gates, into the presence of the Lord through the gates of Jerusalem. If a picture could offer you and me a thousand words, what are the words circulating in your mind right now? Three significant observations come out of this passage of Scripture of nine verses. They're tired. They're weary. They've been walking long distances to be able to get to this point. It's crowded. Maybe they're hungry. But at the same time, they're ready to worship in the house of the Lord. Are you? Three observations. And the first comes out of verses 1 and 2 is that you and I, as we ponder Jerusalem's place in God's plan, well, I want to begin here by noting with you what we'll call the invitation to worship that's being given this was compiled by David. You'll notice that in the superscription. And in 2 Samuel, in chapter 6, you will find David dancing on the streets as the Ark of the Covenant is being brought in to the house of the Lord. He's excited. And so it's very possible now that he has penned these thoughts for corporate worship. And you pick it up right now, and in verse 1, notice how it begins, I was glad. He doesn't wait for others to be able to take the initiative. He's talking from a very personal level. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now, he's speaking of something internal at this point. But at the same time, as he's talking about worship, he's also talking about fellowship because they said it to him. It's as if during the course of the week we need to be saying to one another, just can't wait to see you Sunday morning. Just long to be together with you. Where our sense of destination before God's presence comes to bear upon the fellowship that we experience knowing Christ as our Lord as our Savior. What are you saying to one another? I was glad when they said to me, I just can't wait to see you. 
I'm so glad that they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Now, did you notice that he begins with I as a personal pronoun? But then he moves toward, in verse 2, our. He moves from the singular to the plural. He's saying now at this point, this is not individualistic worship that we are in. This is a corporate experience that we are to have, which is what our Sunday morning is all about. But you'll notice that uh, they've made it now to the gates. And you've got to wonder how, how their feet are holding up. Our feet have been standing like a nurse who's put in long hours at the hospital. Our feet have been standing. And what captures my attention about the Hebrew at this point, it carries with the idea of an ongoing standing. It's as if now, despite the weariness of the journey, they're now standing at the gates and they're just taking it all in. Their eyes are shifting far left and over to the far right. They can't believe what they're seeing. This was the master plan that had been given by God to David, established by Solomon. And after this long journey, you don't go just rushing in. You're standing at the gates and you're taking it in. You're processing all that's there. It's an ongoing standing. It's, it's within your gates, O Jerusalem. So we need to take a look at the gates of Jerusalem now that appears on the screen. And here's the new gate, Damascus gate, Herod's gate. Go down this way, Jaffa gate. I walked through that one. Zion Gate, here's a name for you, the Dung Gate, hmm. the Golden Gate, and that is where Jesus on that, uh, on that particular day entered in, in triumph into Jerusalem, mounted on a donkey, on a coat full of a donkey, the Lion's Gate. You see, what we find here when you are pondering the significance of what God has established is an opportunity from people north, south, east, west, no matter where they're coming from in life, to converge in the presence of the Lord. And that is what this church is all about, no matter which service we attend or if you're watching online at this particular moment. What we want for is our worship experience to be something whereby north, south, east, west, the presence of the Lord becomes our, what I'll call our convergence point. And no matter where you're coming from, no matter the color of the skin, the ethnicity, the educational background, the academic training, the income, what matters is the convergence point in being, being in the presence, you see, being in the presence of the Lord. And you're pondering the gates, the various gates being described here in verse 2. 
Here's one that comes next. It's called the Holdergate. It's a favorite among the Jewish people if that could be shown. The Holdergate. And notice with me, not one, not two, but three. This is the region, this is the realm by which uh, some of the modern-day pilgrims are making their way into Israel's um, centerpiece, Jerusalem. You've made your way there. You got off your flight in Tel Aviv, and you can't wait to get to the setting known as Jerusalem. And if you get there, and it's the evening hour, look at the Damascus Gate, which comes next because it's an extraordinary scene and you're pondering the significance of what it means. North, south, east, west. People of all ethnicities. All kinds of experiences. All kinds of stories to be told in one's life's journey. You're arriving at the gates. And you've come to worship the Lord. Rabbi Eckstein, in describing a conversation with Jamie Buckingham, I recited the traditional prayer of giving thanks to God for keeping us alive as Jews, sustaining us, enabling us to reach this extraordinary day. For centuries, Jews died hoping to reach this place, dreaming of a moment like this when they could see Jerusalem. And they prayed as Jews throughout the world, and I still do, quote, next year in Jerusalem, unquote. But for me that day, the dream was a reality. There I was, as the Bible describes it, with my legs firmly planted at the gates of Jerusalem. And I wondered why my generation was the one privileged to see this 2,000-year-old dream fulfilled. Certainly, we were the least deserving. Let me tell you something about myself, Jamie, said the rabbi as we approached the city. My father and grandparents were were born here in Jerusalem, and they emigrated to the U.S. in 1929 at the height of the Arab riots. I come from a line of generations. I am the first to be born outside Israel. And when my grandparents died in New York City, we followed the Jewish custom of burying them here in Jerusalem. Now, Jamie interjects at that point. The Jewish assumption. That way, when the Messiah comes and the resurrection of the dead takes place, they will be among the first to be resurrected, right? Interjected Jamie. How did you know that? I asked Rabbi Eckstein. I read it. The traffic... Rabbi Eckstein tells us, then slowed to a standstill as their taxi readied them at the getting near the gates. What's up ahead? An accident? Jamie asked. No, I answered. A security check. 
there is a lack of peace in the city of peace, Jerusalem. And maybe what you find this morning is you've come into the presence of the Lord in the house of the Lord is that you know that the Prince of Peace brings you peace, but why have you felt so unsettled coming here today? What is it that's weighing on your heart? The particular friend, child, work experience, health-related matter, and so on. What we do when we come into the presence of the Lord is we've got to be able to say not only individually, but also collectively, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. But then he moves from the singular, I, to the plural, our. And no matter how wearied they might feel from walking, off he'd have been standing, either just taking it in like you are with this scene before you, within your gates, O Jerusalem, the city of Shalom. So as you and I, as we ponder Jerusalem's place in God's plan, I want to begin by noting with you then, as we've just noted, the invitation to worship that's being given here. But what I want to be able to say at this point is that when it comes to this matter of of worship and how it relates to Jerusalem, and my second Monday night group understands this, there is a now and a not yet to this experience. Because there is not only a first coming matter of Jesus, there is a second coming matter of Jesus, and they both have something to do with Jerusalem. Because in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, Isaiah connects the now with the not yet, the present with the future, when he says that it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Speaking of that future day, that is why you pause and you think about the significance of how despite the Holocaust that took place during World War II, God established statehood for Israel in 1948 setting up momentum toward that future day now being described here in Isaiah chapter 2. They shall be lifted up above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, you see. And now you've connected your now with your not yet. Your worship today with your worship still to come of the tomorrows of life. And you accept the invitation that was given when it was said to David, I was glad when they said to me, they were inviting him, let's go to the house of the Lord. And you can't wait, and I hope that's the way it is. You just can't wait collectively to worship the Lord your God. 
as we ponder Jerusalem's place and we realize that while other nations in history of time past, their, their, their capital cities were destroyed, never to be reestablished, let alone repopulated, Lo and behold, what God in his sovereign plan has for Jerusalem is not only a past, not only a present, but a future, as Isaiah in chapter 2 describes it. You're awed. As we ponder Jerusalem's place in God's plan, you and I, we note the invitation to worship being given in 1 and 2. But now, second of all, I want you to notice in verses 3, 4, and 5, the thankfulness to God being expressed. It's as if he just can't stop talking about Jerusalem. And so now, David, David, the one who danced before the Lord as he made his way toward Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant. Jerusalem. He's just got to say it again. But then the hyphen in your English Standard Version built as a city that is bound firmly together. Now, what I want you to ponder at this point is the way in which the stones, because Israel is a stony terrain, they fit so naturally, so strategically, so firmly together. It's as if God is making a, a, a physical statement this is how I want to fit my people together, Jew and Gentile. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. And now what he will say next is that even though there was a revolt in history and the ten tribes to the north in relationship to the tribes to the south temporarily went their separate ways, there is a now and there is a not yet. And so we are told here to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel. And the question is, why? What's the purpose? What's the reason? And the answer that's given when it comes to matters of worshiping our Lord corporately the objective is this, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. It was the Teresa Boyle. It's a trawler from Scotland, sunk by the Nazis in the North Sea. A crew of ten were able to get away in their lifeboat, one of the uh, survivors writes, which was only a small boat, for hours we rowed about hoping someone would see us. It was terribly cold, not much food left. Forty hours had passed, no one had sighted us. Another ten hours went by, seemed like much longer. Hope was beginning to fail. But in the distance an airplane was seen, and our hearts began to beat, friend or foe. Ally or Axis power? The keen eye of the pilot on patrol didn't miss us, although the boat was being buffeted by the heavy seas, and by this time, eight of us were lying on the floor bed, too weak to row, just able to wave anxiously at the pilot as the 
plane flew low, he realized we'd been seen. When all of a sudden the plane went off. We found out later in search of help. Found two minesweepers some 15 miles away. Asked them by lamp signals to follow. By firing colored lights, the pilot guided the minesweepers to the open boat, circled round and round until the entire crew of the sunken trawler were taken on board. We were saved. And then it just flew off. Well, after going about two miles, a signal lamp from one rescue ship recalled the plane. Anything wrong, signaled the pilot. No, the reply flickered. These men we picked up just want to say thank you. Thank you for saving us. Us. And with this message, off flew the plane to carry on its duty of patrol. Thank you. Thank you for saving us. And when you come on your life's journey to the house of the Lord, you embrace then what is, what is penned here by David. And there in the heart of verse 4, it's been decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For you see in verse 5, their thrones for judgment were set the thrones of the house of David. So we need an aerial view now of Jerusalem, don't we? Sure. And so with this aerial view, here you now have an opportunity to get a sense of the landscape. Yeah, here's the hills that people have been going through to be able to come through whichever particular gate, north, south, east, west, they might be coming from. But they've made it, and they're standing at the gates, and they're taking it in and pondering the way in which the stones are just so naturally fit together, pondering how past, present, and future are combined, and how did this get here anyways? The Islamic dome of the rock. Do you feel the incredible tension of shalom, peace yet lack of peace, in the now waiting for the not yet? when you've got the Dome of the Rock positioned next to the western wall where Jews come to weep, the Wailing Wall. But then the next scene helps us to ponder even more because for those that would have, that would have put all things pertaining to the will of God, uh, put them in jeopardy in the eyes of the world, these are the throne settings. Described here in verse 5, the thrones of the house of the Lord, where such judgment is to be had. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. And now what you and I have done at this point is that we've noticed, first of all, the invitation to worship being given, God's strategic plan in verses 1 and 2. Second of all, the thankfulness to God being expressed in 3 through 5, and we begin to ponder the significance of what it means when we come to the house of the Lord to be able to say thank you 
Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving us as I encountered you in my life's journey. But there's one more observation. You want to be able to pull that out of verses 6 down through verse 9. Because thirdly, as we ponder Jerusalem's place in God's plan, note out of 6 to 9 the prayer for peace here, the prayer for peace that's being prioritized. Notice how many times the word peace shows up. Notice how it connects once again into Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And now he's challenging everybody on life's journey to be able to say Jerusalem is really the epicenter historically, geographically, politically, internationally of all that is transpiring. Take the now of today and the conflicts globally and transfer them into the not yet when the Messiah comes where? To Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, he writes. And it's something that Timothy Jones was teaching when he had a gathering of journalists that were present with him in Jerusalem. He writes that the shadows of four army transport helicopters could not have swept over us in a more ironic time. I had just read aloud, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers, we were 18 American Christian journalists in the Holy Land, invited by the Israeli government, sitting in a circle on the Mount of Beatitudes. Somebody approaches me. I had just gotten done teaching. I noted the longing for peace in the most surprising of all places. When I'm being informed immediately, there's been a slight change in your accommodations, Mike. Our tour guide tells me. The Secretary of State of the U.S. and entourage are due in town for a round of peace talks. They're going to be taking up several floors at the Venerable King David Hotel. Sorry for the inconvenience, but think of it this way. You're giving up your room for the cause of peace. As I look around before we head off to our, our rooms, Corder has seen battles as far back as the dawn of the Iron Age. Israel confronted by the Philistines and an old crusader fortress, now little more than broken walls and piles of stone, stood as a silent reminder of still another era of war between the, quote, Christians and the Turks. When just outside Jerusalem, Mike read to us from Psalm 122, verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I take a deep breath as I make my way through the gate on this journey. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say peace be within you. 
And you take a deep breath because right now in the Middle East, there's not exactly peace to be had. But as Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones would put it, surely praise and thanksgiving are ever to be the great characteristics of the Christian life. As we entered into that setting, as Dr. Jones put it, of peace. And in verse 9 it ends as it began with the house of the Lord. That for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good peace. And where do you get it? Where do you find it? For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And in their most anxious moment in the upper room, and Jesus would look at his disciples in John 14 of verse 27 and say, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. We need to be able to experience that form of peace in a world that seems to lack peace. For as Mitch Glaser in his most recent Chosen Peoples article tells us, he's about to offer a lecture entitled Finding Shalom in a Troubled World. And I think about that. And as people gather together and where the vertical and the horizontal dimensions of life, worship, and fellowship intersect in such a way where no matter which gate you're coming in from, you find yourself in the house of the Lord. All of a sudden, there's a certain beautiful aspect to it all. Look at this final scene. Because there you have it, is sunset in Jerusalem. The sun's fading. The sun is coming, Jesus, and there will be sunrise after sunset. Let's stand together. For that person who came here today lacking peace, For the one watching online at this moment, somewhere in the course of the week, and they, what they are thinking about resonates with what Dr. Glaser has offered in us, a lecture on finding shalom in a troubled world. I pray now that what we will do is to bookend our life experiences and our life journey we come to the house of the Lord and we are introduced to the one who is the Prince of Peace. 
And there's something extraordinary about the shalom that comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Where you bring wholeness to our brokenness. And for this we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.